0: We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week. For those that don't know, we've been going through the book of John now for the past couple of months, and it's a very interesting book. I love the way John starts out. Right at verse 1 of John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word is God. Right at the start of that this book, God is blessing his people. And in this chapter, he gives seven signs. And in these seven signs, he blesses his people, he strengthens them. And he builds them up. A couple of the signs that you may have heard about and know about is changing water into wine. That's one of his first ones. And another one is um, him feeding the 5,000, with two fish and five loaves of bread. And he came behind that and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And when he did that, that's when the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes said, look, we had enough. And they s- started planning to put Jesus... To death. And when you get to verse 13, you hear about the Last Supper, and you read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In that moment, somewhere in there, Judas kind of hurries off, scurries off to put his plan into action to have Jesus killed, to sell Jesus over to um, the Roman leaders. And while Judas is out doing this, Jesus spends the next couple of days talking to his disciples. For us, it's been over a month that we've been looking at this verse, but in the text, the scene really hasn't changed from chapter 13 until now. Jesus is with his 11 disciples, and he's passing on to them some knowledge to get them through whatever they're going to face. Not whatever they're going to face, he knows exactly what they're going to face next in, in life after this is all over. So our big idea, if you're looking for our big idea today, is simply we have to be able to endure hardship. Jesus is preparing his disciples for a period that he's not going to be with them. And as we all know that Jesus didn't do anything to deserve punishment, yet and still the powers that be didn't want him to continue to to preach about God and about deliverance and about um, the power through that. So he's encouraging his disciples and telling them, "You're going to endure hardship, but you're going to get the victory in the end." And that's a tough thing to say when you are going through a course or you're going through trials in your life, and someone is telling you, "Hey, just hold on, better days are ahead." But for you right now, it's raining, it's pouring down, it's, thund- it's thunder, it's lightning, it's it, everything is coming at the same time. And someone say, hey, be encouraged. Good days are ahead. Those are hard words to hear. And Jesus is telling his disciples these things while times are good to prepare them for when times are bad. The good thing about those, those words, I know for me when I go through trials and tribulation, I reflect on certain scriptures. To gain strength from when I'm worried and I'm going through the cares of life, I can go to Matthew 6 and 33, which says, but but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added into you. Well, what are all these things? Well, if you read prior to Matthew 6 and 33, it talks about the birds and the airs and animals and how they live and they don't worry about what they're going to eat and how they're going to provide, but yet God provides for them. So that verse lets me know, hey, I don't have to worry. And then Jesus gave me some examples to get through that. So until the day of Pentecost in Acts 1, the disciples have to lean on these words for encouragement. So although Jesus is not going to be physically present, he is going to be present spiritually through the Holy Spirit. And leads us to our first point, stand your ground. We we have to be able to stand our ground. We live in a world where Christians are being attacked verbally and physically. Uh, Pastor Jeff spoke on it last week about a country he was in and that people are still being persecuted for their faith. And we have to be able to stand our ground. And when you think about standing your ground, you look at Ephesians 6, and it talks about the armor of God. You notice within those components that Paul is talking about, there's nothing he talks about for the back, meaning that we are not to retreat. Because if you turn your back, your spinal cord is exposed, your kidneys are exposed, vital organs are exposed when you turn and retreat. But in no, no way in Scripture does it, tell, so it talks about retreating or going back. He's pretty much saying, put on armor, guard, stand your ground against the evils of this world. And in chapter 16, it's a continuation of chapter 15. And Jesus is continuing to talk to his disciples, and he says these words to them. He said, I have told you these things to help to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering sacrifice to God, offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me, but I have told you these things. So that, you, so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus tells his disciples these words, and he's warning them of coming hardship, of coming struggles that they're gonna to have to face, that they're gonna to have to be able to stand their ground. For us, we know what the disciples faced after Jesus passed, but for the disciples, These are foreign words to them. They're used to Jesus going places with them, and they're used to. If anybody got in the flack, it was Jesus. It was never really the disciples. If someone were coming after Jesus and they saw his disciples, they would ask his disciples, where's Jesus? So they didn't get the verbal abuse, and they didn't get the physical abuse that Jesus received, but they were going to receive those things right after that. We all know the story about Saul And what he did when he came on the scene in chapter 8 of Acts. But before that, the Holy Spirit came in chapter 1 and gave them that power. So some have believed that they are doing God a favor in persecuting the Jews. Saul is one of the first ones that did it in Scripture. And it's continuing on to this day. And I wish I could stand here and tell you that in the future, it's not going to happen. But I think all of us know that the way the world is going believers in Christ soccer, it's going to get worse before it gets better moving forward. But we have to be able to stand our ground. So it really de- debates and dictates on your level of faith and your level of strength and what you believe in, rather you're going to say, I still believe in God with a gun to your head. It's easy to say that if you're in America, because the possibility that that happened is slim. But if you're in other countries, that's something that goes through their heads. And for me, even though the chance of that, that happened to me is slim, I still go through that thought process. If someone was to question my faith to the point that I have to either deny it and live or accept it and die, would I, what decision would I make? Because we own jobs we work in places that, in some places we the only Christian, we don't only say a person there and the other other people are doing other things. And we have to either function, operate in that environment in a way that is Christ like, or we're gonna succumb to what's going on around us. So we have that decision to make. So we have to stand our ground on each and each and everything. So the disciples will soon realize that as long as Jesus was with them in person, they didn't need the constant companion of the Holy Spirit. However, they would after Jesus left them. Secondly, departure is needed for growth to happen. Departure is needed for growth to happen. Perfect example of that, if you ever had to teach a, a, a baby to walk, you know they're at the point, the day is the day. Their legs are strong enough. I believe they're going to do it today. They used to walk in, hold on to your hands, or hold on to your fingers, and then on this particular day, you're like, no, they're going to walk today. We're going to video this this moment, this is a monumental occasion, and we're going to see this through. So you get to the point they start walking, then you pull your hand away, you, do, you move away, and the child stops. Sometimes they're going to fall back down, or they're going to stand, but they're not taking that step. Keep that in mind. So then hear what Jesus said in verse 5 through 7. He says, but now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you ask me where are you going? Yes. Yet, because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you if I, if I go. I will send him to you. So we see Jesus telling the disciples, hey, I'm, I, got, I have to go. And the reason they didn't ask you where are you going? They were in shock. They were in sorrow. In the same way that baby stands there and look at you like, where are you going? They don't say it, but that's what they're thinking, looking at you, move in front of them and hold out your arms. And in some cases, their sorrow turns to tears, similar to what the disciples are facing. Their sorrow didn't turn to tears, but they were sorrowful that Jesus was saying he was going to depart. But then you read through the rest of that text and you see Jesus telling them, it is to your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So what the child does in that example, in that instance, when there's time for them to walk, they start, the first emotion is sorrow. And then you encourage them, hey, come to me, take a step. Then they start taking those steps and then that sorrow turns to joy. So that departure that you, you moved away from them turned to joy because they're now, now they're feeling a sense of independence. And now they're running through your house, knocking things off your tables, climbing through chairs, getting all the other kind of mess. But that's another story. But that's an example of what Jesus is telling his disciples in this text that his departure is needed step in order for their growth as disciples. But there efforts in their efforts to push out darkness. So Jesus knew they were filled with sorrow because of what he told them. So it was to his advantage, to our advantage, not to Jesus' advantage, that he go away. And when you think about it, it, is, it was to our advantage that Jesus was wrongfully detained, that He was his teaching and his miracles stopped, that he was beaten, that he was sentenced to die on a cross between two notorious thieves and that he was laid in a a cold tomb. But this had to happen in order for him to rise from the dead to defeat death. So the Holy Spirit is a different manifestation of God than Jesus' bodily presence. It's a more powerful illustration of Jesus when Jesus was here for the simple fact that the Holy Spirit can be in each and every one of us. He would be in each and every one of his disciples, Jesus could only be in one place at one time, so if you miss them, you miss them. But with the Holy Spirit, he can be everywhere. So Jesus wanted them to trust him more at this point because he had a plan. They didn't understand what he was saying in the moment. So Jesus was implying that the presence and work of the Holy Spirit would be better for believers than him being physically present. And allowing him to do the things that that he needed to do through the Holy Spirit. Because he said in Matthew 18 and 20, he said, for where two or three are gathered, what did he say? There I am in the midst. So he hasn't totally, completely left. He's just working and operating through the Holy Spirit in order to get things done. So if Jesus was present on earth, there would be a faith by sight more so than a faith by believing in what God can do. So you see, as long as Jesus was physically present, they would, be attempt, they would be tempted to see their faith as external. The Holy Spirit will not only guide them towards truth, he will establish a personal faith within all who have faith in him. So he had to go away in order for these things to happen, and also in order for the Holy Spirit to come. Because We all know, looking at Scripture, that we see the Holy Spirit was there with them on certain occasions, but it never was a point where the Holy Spirit was in them. He was present, but he wasn't in them. And thirdly, he wants us to see this point. He said we have to be convinced about the truth through the Holy Spirit. We have to be convinced. And the reason we have to be convinced through the truth of the Holy Spirit is because we live in doubt. We live in fear. Each and every day we wake up, we, we, we have an idea of what we're gonna do in life. We have an idea of what that day is going to, to be. But yet instead we know that things can happen. So we have to rely on a being that's greater and better than us. So the help through the Holy Spirit helps us to come to that understanding. It, it keeps us from doubting what we're doing and allow us to push forward into what we're going to do. And this is what Jesus says about that. He said, when he comes, he will convince the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, when I read the text over and over and over again, something stood out to me, the fact that he said he. And it's something in a name. He can reply to anyone if I could say he. And you're looking for a certain person. You'll let every person pass out of this room until you see that person. But if you name that person, this person is a person of importance, it takes on a whole new meaning. So who is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So when I read this text, I read it this way, and it reads, a di- it reads different. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Doesn't that sound a little different than when he comes? And that's what he says, of what the Holy Spirit is going to do about sin, because they do not believe in me about righteousness, because I am going to the father and you will no longer see me and about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So when you're looking at sin, sin is the truth about mankind. Since the first Adam came on the world, we, we all deal with sin. Righteousness is the truth about God. And the judgment is the equalizer. So sin plus righteousness equals judgment. Now that judgment is up to each and every one of us because we have a decision to make. If we're going to live a life of sin, we're going to live a life of righteousness. If we choose to live a life of sin, fine it dandy, God is going to—you have free will to do that. But if you're going to live a life of righteousness on the other part of that, God is going to equip you with the Holy Spirit because he know you can't do life alone. So he's going to put the Holy Spirit within you, and then he's going to surround you with other believers to encourage you as you maneuver through life. So your equal is going to be heaven. The person that's over here, their equal is going to be hell because of their choices. So sin plus righteousness equals, and then the person fills in the blank with that. So... This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and the individual's heart to convince and convict us of the truth. So each and every day, each and every moment in, in life, each decision that we have to make, we have to consult with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And what the Holy Spirit does for me, he's not a yeller. He doesn't yell in my ear, Troy, do this or Troy, do that. It's just a still, calm voice. And another thing the Holy Spirit doesn't do, he doesn't accuse you. He doesn't accuse us of anything. Think about it. If you do something wrong, what what do you feel? You feel guilt. That's the Holy Spirit within you, convicting you and convincing you of what you did or what you haven't, what you did or what you should have done differently. And it causes you to go back and change it. in some cases, a lot of people can't sleep at night because of that guilt and they have to wake up and they have to make, they have to right that wrong. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. He doesn't yell at us when we do something wrong. He just gives us a sense of guilt about what we're doing. It guides us that way. It's awesome to have the Holy Spirit to defend us rather than convict. The Holy Spirit convinces us that we are sinners and are in need of a savior. After we ask Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit continues to convince us about sin. So the Holy Spirit will tell the world of the importance of trusting in, relying on, and clinging to Jesus to avoid sin. So the Holy Spirit shows the world. And how does the Holy Spirit show the world? It shows the world through us. Shows the world through me. Shows the world through you. Wherever pocket of the world you're going in, in, the Holy Spirit is present, moving. If you was to go outside at night and you live in an area where a lot of those little light bulbs are, and just imagine those bugs represent Christians. Everywhere those, those insects go, it, they're pushing out darkness. And you've seen a lot of them to the point that you can even, even see what's in your yard because their light is so bright. That's an example of how the Holy Spirit goes out into the world. It goes out in the, in the world through us. So you have to decide in your work environment, in your class, in your daily routine, whether you're going to be light. Or you're going to be darkness. Because in a moment, even though you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot decide to share who you really are and be an undercover Christian in your work environment and no one knows that, that you are an undercover Christian. And then some people tell them, I'm a, I'm a, I've heard people say, I'm a believer. I'm a, and then I've heard another person say, I didn't know you go to church. I didn't know you were a believer. Because if those of us that have been believers for a long time, we know that you don't have to tell somebody who you are as far as your faith walk. When you talk, when you act, how you carry yourself it's different. It is different from person who just not, don't have a relationship with Christ, but just live a, a good life. But with you it's different. Someone to ask who, what do you do? Are you a believer? And then you say, yeah, then you're like, how do you know? It's just just something about you because you're dealing with it on a spiritual spiritual level. So of course we know the judgment of Satan and his demons are already been decided and then once Jesus comes back, they're going to go. But a a lot of people believe that hell is a place where, where God sent people that reject God. Hell is not a place for people that God rejected. Hell is a place for people who rejected God not a place where God rejected them and sent them there. By their rejection of him, they end up going to hell because of the decisions they made, not because of the decision that God made on their behalf. And you have a lot of people want to test God, say, but God give me this, then I'll believe him. What kind of faith is that? You, you work with people that do stuff, they get paid to do a job. And some of them don't care nothing about the company or business they're working for. It's a job. When they clock out, they're done with that job. They're not committed. It's not in every fabric of who they are as a person. And with God, it's, it's not like that. It's, you, you get no days off. You get, no, get any moments off. Not saying any every moment you're going to pass every test. Because there's room for error because of grace and mercy that we can ask for forgiveness that those times and events that we fall short. But there are those times. But in the midst of that, we have to do something along the way. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. I deal with a lot of people, military, civilian-wise, that are very independent. Very independent men and women. Strong men and women. But when you're dealing with faith, you're dealing with Christ, you have to have a level of dependency, a strong level of dependency. When GPS came out, and I'm used to a map, I'm like, look, I'm gonna feel my way through, and I will stop listening to the GPS, and it's telling me to go, and now they're better, because they'll tell you if there's construction on the route and how to bypass and certain things, like, no, I ain't ain't going by that. Drive my, I'm going my own route. And I end up, it ended up taking me longer to get to where I'm trying to go because I went rogue and not listened to the GPS. So I didn't listen to the guidance that was given and it's right in front of me and I went off from it. And it's similar to that with God. We have to allow the Holy Spirit um, to come into us and give him that level of dependency. dependency. So we have to follow along. And in this next text is full verses. And what Jesus is doing in this, these full verses are so critical that you, you can't afford to miss. And I want you to count the times that he says he or his. Because what Jesus is doing in this text, he's, he's doing what we call a military a transfer of power. He's trying to get the disciples to focus from him to the Holy Spirit. And he really needs for this to happen because it's very important to everything they do in the future. And he's working his case in these four verses in chapter 16. He says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own. For he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and decide and correction and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So how many times? Nine times. Jesus says he. Or his and he's transferring power he's telling his disciples look my teaching portion is about done and he's admitting that it's still more things that he has to teach him teach them but he's not going to teach them though these things from earth he's going up to heaven and he's going to work through the Holy Spirit to give them further instructions and He's letting them know that you need to prepare yourself for when the Holy Spirit comes. I need to transfer this power. I need to get y'all in connection with the Holy Spirit. I need to tell you all about him. And he didn't tell them a lot. He just tell them kind of where they need to be, the things they need to be doing until the Holy Spirit comes to prepare themselves for it. So the Holy Spirit continues today to personally lead us into truth, but never in a, Opposition of the scripture. The Holy Spirit speaks, but he only speaks what God will have for it to speak. Nothing is contradiction of what God will have for us to do. For us, we don't know a life without the Holy Spirit. But the disciples did in that moment. So our total dependency, we we know and love the Holy Spirit. We see what he does. We know what he does. We know how he shows up. But for them, they were quiet, quiet the entire time, and they just listening what Jesus is saying, and he's telling them these things that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal further truth, that he's going to show them things that, that he can't tell them about right now. In the same example, if you were to give your kids some instruction, and you would tell them part of the thing that you want them to do, you only give them enough information to keep them focused on that task, and then once they complete that, you give them other instructions. And that's how God uses the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and lead us on his path. Because if you think about it, if you were to give your kids the graduate high school, hey, here's $20,000, $30,000, go out and do whatever you want to do, you probably wouldn't hear from them. <laughs> Because they will have no need to come to you for that, that thing. But if you only give them the things they need when they need it, and then continue to guide them along as you continue to raise them, then they have a they have not so much a dependence on you for how to, how to, how to live their lives, but you kind of help them grow better by doing that than by giving them everything they want. I'm... I thank my parents all the time for not giving me, I think back on, I'm like, man, I'm so glad they didn't give me everything I wanted. I am so glad. I'm a much better person, much better believer because my parents didn't give me everything I wanted, and God does the same thing. He doesn't give us everything that we want, and yet still, in the the society, in in the way the world works, we are hated. And for no apparent reason. How do, you, how do you justify killing someone that does no wrong? And then you put him on a cross to, to, between two thieves and you murder him for a crime he didn't commit because you just lying on him. And you find justification in that. But we, that's the kind of world we live in that do things of that nature. And there's some people that are hated just as much in this world as well. One is a rich man who gives his money to the poor. In the realm of his peers and everyone around him, they're not going to understand that. Why do you gain all this wealth and now you're going to give it away to the poor to help the less fortunate? Because in some of their minds, they just want to accumulate more and more wealth. But this person decides to bless those who are less fortunate than themselves. The second person is a wise man who shares his knowledge. Again, he's hated because in his world, you're wise. You're considered wise. You're supposed to keep that wisdom and only just talk to people. You don't share your knowledge. You just tell people different things and make them awe and ooh over the things you say and you do. But when you share it in the world that they live in, there will be some hate. And the third is a person who the Bible is revealed. The person who finds that this book has the power to give them knowledge and wisdom. And they come to the revelation of it. And not only do they come to the revelation of it, they start to share it with other people. They become hated by the masses. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He understood what God wanted him to do. He never deviated from his path. When he was challenged, what did he respond? with? he responded with scripture, thus says, the Lord, the Bible says this, it says that. He went back to it. So if you stand on this against all odds, and trust me, I've tried it and found it to be true in an environment where I was the only believer in I was ridiculed not for doing a bad job just because people just didn't, didn't agree with what I was doing. One of the cases was when I was a drill sergeant during the time period, they were yelling and cursing and screaming at soldiers, and I didn't do that. So for the other 11 drill sergeants, I was weak. I was inferior because I didn't yell. I didn't curse. I didn't do those things that they were doing. And no matter what they said to me, I never deviated. God had, by then, God had been so good to me. He had already proven himself to me to the point that there's nothing you could say that was going to make me shift left or right or even doubt what he was saying. But everybody, not at that point. And because I remained faithful, so when another position opened to get rid of a drill, I was the one they sent. And when they sent me to the other place, same thing. I just was who I am. I wasn't hitting people over the head with the Bible. And it came to a point where, some reason, the first song, never devil put me on duty on Sunday. And the other drill songs got mad. And the first song, you always put, you, all, you will never put Singleton on duty on Sunday. And first song, I said, look. He said, I don't go to church. I don't believe, but I ain't messing with God's people. <laughs> and he was a non-believer. And no one said nothing The first time, after that, after he made that statement, when he shut them down with that. When you just live your life for God, no matter what bad comes your, your way, no matter what evil comes your way, God has got a way of working things out for our good. So yes, we're going to endure hardship. Yes, we're going to endure trials. But I, I've, it's been, I've proven it through my life that I just stayed a course that God will, will make a way out of no way. He will provide things that I didn't know was even coming my way. And he did those things for me. And he did those things for you. He did those things for so many other people that just don't have a microphone and a stage to, to tell their story. So I'm not the only one. But someone needed to to hear that story, and our next steps are fairly simple, and it just straight cut right to the point. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today for the first time, because it may be someone that that's not a believer, that don't know Christ, and don't know about anything that I just talked about, or can't relate to it, and want to know who He is. If you tap into our website, it's a page there that lets, not a page there, but a box there that lets new believers come on and let us know their wishes. Secondly, I would stay in my ground with the help of the Holy Spirit because the thing that believers fail to realize when we're in a struggle, we're in a battle, we think we're alone. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.